Okay, so today we are moving on to our first time period. So if you guys want to pull up your D2L account and download the chapter one PowerPoint, then that's kind of the timeline I'll be following. Okay, so art in the Stone Age. So there are a few things we need to know before we dig into the actual art from this time period. So starting on our first slide, there is a vocabulary word that you need to know, and that is Paleolithic. Um, paleo means old, and lithos means stone. And so we're putting the two to what together, meaning the old Stone Age. Now, this time period starts around 40,000 BCE. Okay, that's before the Common Era, which means the Common Era is R0. So maybe you've heard of AD and BC. It's the same thing. It's just a more scientific way of phrasing. Um, so 40,000 BCE is actually 42,018 years ago because we're in the year 2018. Um, this is probably one of the most important eras in art history because this is where we get human recognition and human invention of artistic concepts. We are starting to record things in a visual manner. And often these are painted on or carved into cave walls because these are the areas our people during this time period are living. So if you look on slide three, we have our first artwork from the prehistoric era. Pre prehistoric, just to be clear, means before history, which means before there was a written record. So at this point, um, a lot of this we don't know a ton about. We're making a lot of educated guesses because we don't have any handwritten documents that say, I, on this day, made this cave painting so that you would think this. Uh, it's not that easy. So this particular painting is inside a cave in France called Lascaux Cave. And it dates to 16,000 BCE or 14,000 BCE, which remember would be about 18,000 years ago at the oldest. We call this the Hall of the Bulls. And the painting itself is about 11 feet tall and six inches um, wide. And you can see that there are bulls, hence the name, the Hall of the Bulls. They are very distinct. We can tell that these are bulls. This is not just decorative. We assume it has some kind of other purpose, but we're not really sure what. If you had to guess, you would probably think, oh, these things are important to them because it's a hunting lifestyle. We know that cavemen, um, as we refer to them often, were hunters and gatherers. And so sometimes maybe we think, oh, what's important to you most? If you're hunting for your food, probably your food, your life source. But we know that they didn't eat bulls and they didn't eat horses. And both of those are shown in this. Um, so we don't really know why these animals, why are these animals important to them? So I'm going to leave you today with a lot of unanswered questions, unfortunately. Now let's move on to our fourth slide. Now, the most accepted theory about the human population of the world is the out of Africa theory which means that humankind, homo sapien, would have developed in Africa and then moved from Africa across to Asia, from Asia across 
the land bridge to Alaska into North America, and then also from Asia into Europe. And that would have been the spreading of the human um, race. This is the out of Africa theory. So part of the reason we have this theory is because some of our earliest evidence of human existence of homo sapiens existing come from Africa. So this image on your PowerPoint is a three million year old pebble. That does not mean that the person carved it three million years ago. It just means this pebble is really old. And um, we're obviously in the Paleolithic era, which is at least 40,000 years old. So it's a an old carving, but an even older pebble. Now, when you look at it, you might think, okay, it looks like a bowling ball, which yes, to us today, it looks like a bowling ball. But if you listen to my first podcast, I told you you would have to be objective and you'd have to remove yourself from our modern day thinking process. So if you're a caveman, what has two small circles and an indentation? And then you can eventually get to the concept of a human face. And this is the earliest evidence we have that humans recognized what they looked like and could repeat that in an artistic form. So that's why this one's a pretty important piece of evidence. Now, a few more things we should know on slide five. These are not going to be examples of art like you know them today. You're not going to see sculptures or elaborate paintings because our definition of art here is a little more broad. More often than not, we're going to see murals and capes. We'll see necklaces, jewelry. We will see some human forms carved, but they'll usually be pretty small. And they're made out of stone, sometimes ivory, like tusk and clay. And we'll see animal forms as well. Now, if you look on slide six, you can see a painting on an actual portable object, which means that someone would have created this so they could carry it with them. Um, if it's something you're going to take with you, usually that means it's more important to you. So there's some kind of importance and significance behind this token, this painting on this rock. This is from um, Numbia, and so it's called the Apollo 11 Cave. Now, most of the images we found in this cave, we can't really tell what they are. They're faded. They're 20 from 23,000 BCE, so they're 25,000 years old. Let's just stop and think a second and just appreciate how old that really is. Most of you have probably been alive, you know, 22 years. And that seems like a really long time to you. And if you think back to the 1950s, that seems like a really, really long time ago to you. 2,000 years ago, we're talking about biblical times and Egyptian times. Now, imagine 2,000 times 12. That's how old this is. That is crazy, crazy old. So it's faded. There's damage. But if you look at it, maybe you start to recognize some type of animal. To me, I see some kind of feline animal. Maybe you see something different. Um, you're open to interpretation in this case because we have no definite answers. Remember, no written record, right? 
Now, the next slide does show us a feline figure, and it's one of those small sculptures made out of woolly mammoth ivory, and it's one of the oldest sculptures ever discovered, and it was found in 1939, right in the middle of World War II in Germany, in a cave. So someone had probably been carrying this with them, and it was left in the cave as they moved on. Now, remember, we're in a hunter-gatherer society, a hunter-gatherer world, which means your food source moves, then obviously you have to move. And some of you may remember that term for whenever you're moving with your food, being a nomad, a nomadic culture. So if you're a nomadic culture and you're moving from cave to cave and you're carrying things with you, it's you know inevitable that something's going to get left along the way. Now, this is nearly a foot tall, so 12 inches, about the size of your everyday, you know, G.I. Joe or Barbie doll. Um, this is bigger than a lot of handheld tokens, so it could have some special importance. What is really unique about this, though, it has a feline head. You can see the jaw on the head, and it looks very much like a lion's. But it has a humanoid body. That's new. That's not something they had seen before, which means we have evidence of an imagination, right? Some kind of imaginary creation, not just seeing a human and repeating two eyes and a mouth. This is something they created in their head and then created in a physical form. Now, we're dating this to about 40,000 to 35,000 BCE, and that's by radiocarbon dating. You guys may have learned about radiocarbon dating in some of your other courses and some of your science courses, maybe. If you don't, I'm just going to do a quick refresher for you guys. Radiocarbon dating is where you find some kind of life form, organic form. Um, it could be something that was living at some point, so firewood that is now ash. Um, you date that, and if something is found in that area, then we can assume that it's at least that old. If it's in the cave on top of dirt that dates to this period, then it's at least somehow related to that area it's found in. It helps a lot whenever we're talking about civilizations that bury, are buried in layers of soil, and there's layers on top of them. Now, this is ivory. We know today that ivory is very prized in a lot of cultures, and it's not something that we are allowed to readily trade in. Um, because of extinction and um, humane issue, human, uh, animal, animal humane rights and stuff like that. Now, we're talking 40,000 years ago. They are living off the animals. And so ivory to them would have been a material that was accessible, hard. So hard means it's going to last, which you would want something valuable to last. So more evidence that this was a very important object to someone. Art historians assume that to carve this figure, this 12-inch figure, would have taken 400 hours of work. That is a lot. If you work a 40-hour week, that's 10 weeks of work. That's insane to think about someone sitting there and doing. Now, keep in mind, we're hunting, we're traveling, there's a lot of sitting and waiting, so, you know, you got time on your hands. There's no iPod, there's no iPhone. 
So if you go to our next slide, the Venus of Willendorf, found in Austria, is a pretty famous figurine. You may have seen this one before. Now, she's unique because she has, can you guess what's unique about her? <laughs> she has a human body, but we really don't know what kind of head she has because it's non-existent, right? It's not a visual that we recognize. It looks more actually like text, like text, um, like a textural thing. So she's named Venus. Well, Venus is Roman, right? The same thing as Aphrodite in Greece. Well, we're talking a long, long time before the Greeks and the Romans. So an art historian who found this thought that she reminded them of the goddess of love and beauty, Venus, probably because this figurine has some very exaggerated features. She has large breasts, she has a large abdomen, and she is nude. Now, these three things have something in common. The artist is highlighting her feminine features, which leads us to believe that this has something to do with bearing children or fertility. Now, it's only four and a half inches tall, so it's something that could have been carried with a woman. Now, we don't know for sure. We're only able to make our best educated guess. Um, it does lead us to believe that this culture had a preoccupation with women who could child, um, who could bear children. And that, you know, means having a wide set hip alignment um, and these other features that are exaggerated go along with that, bearing children. So why is bearing children important in Paleolithic Europe in the Old Stone Age? Well, if you don't bear children and you can't have them safely, because no hospital, no midwife, it's you in the woods having a baby, then your, your people don't survive, right? That's your livelihood in the um, in the long term. And so this is a very important aspect of their life, carrying on. So there are no facial features, which means she's probably not supposed to be a specific person. She's a general person, a general toad, like a totem for anyone to use. Um, there's not a specific goal here, right? They're not trying to show you a specific figure or a god or a goddess. We don't know what they're trying to show us, but it seems to be pretty generic. Now, if you move on to slide 12, we're going to move into, okay, first of all, remember 38, we were at 38,000 years ago, 35,000 years ago with our feline figure. We jumped to 28,000 years ago with our Venus. And now if you look at our next thing, we're 13,000 years ago. It's not that people stopped creating art for 20,000 years. It's that we don't have a ton of stuff. Not everything survives. So that's why our timeline's a little spacey in this chapter. Now, this is a cave painting from Spain. Altamira is the name of the, the cave. And it was found in 1879 by an amateur archaeologist. And what I mean by that is that it was a man who was out exploring his estate with his daughter. And 
he happened upon this because his daughter was with him and saw the drawings. And he looked up and it was like, oh my goodness, this is a big deal. These are old. It took a long time to be able to determine if these were real or if they were fake. So there was a lot of controversy around this for a long time. Um, This thing is approximately 60 feet long. It's really big. We see in profile um, some animals. They have horns. They seem to be bulls or bison. Um, Are they giving birth? We don't know, but they're laying on their side. Are they dead? Or, you know, make your best guesses here, guys. I don't know how much you know about the habits of bison and cattle, um, but a lot of times they're not laying down unless there's a specific reason for that. But it looks like you're above them. That's the viewpoint here. If you move on to our next cave painting, which is in Chauvet Cave in France, this one was discovered in 1994, so that's not that long ago. Um, We're talking 25-ish years ago. We're still finding these caves, and it's possible that there are many more still in existence that we have not found yet. Um, This one has some unique animals in it. There are two rhinos at the bottom fighting each other. And then there's a layering of animals, almost like a stampede. This has been debated as well because it seems to predate the Spanish cave that the amateur archaeologist found with his daughter. It's a controversy because there is no exact dating here. We're just using organic materials that are found near things. And, you know, it's not like we scan it and it says, oh, this was this exact day in history. Got to do, we got to do the best we can with what we have. All right, so let's move on to slide 17, where I just have some bullet points to, to give you some more information about the Stone Age, this old Stone Age. Um, remember, we've got First, recognition of human form and representing that recognition. And then we have imagination with the creation of the feline um, human combination. We don't know why humans began to paint and carve images or what the role, um, what the role was of those images in their lives. We just don't know. Um, we know that women were more common subjects than men. But it's mostly animals that dominate this old Stone Age. Now let's move into the Neolithic. So if paleo meant old, neo means new. This is our new Stone Age, which is much more recent, 9,000 BCE. Um, Around this time, ice had covered much of Northern Europe for thousands of years, and it started to recede. So when ice melts, the sea level rises and the climate warms. And this caused England to actually separate from the rest of Europe. So at one point, England was not an island. It was connected to the rest of Europe. And Spain was connected to Africa. And then when the ice melted and the sea level rose, those areas had water between them. So I've got a map for you guys that shows um, Europe, just so you can kind of compare with the connected 
on the previous page, and then what we know today with Spain being separated and England being an an island. So Neolithic is the New Stone Age. There is a Mesolithic, a Middle Stone Age, but we're not going to touch on that too much. Here are the big things you need to know, your key points for Neolithic. First, we begin to domesticate plants and animals, which means we begin to grow them as plants and, you know, herd them in the terms for animals, and we have a sustainable food source. We're not having to hunt and gather, so now do we have to live in caves? No, we can actually settle into homes So it's a transition from hunters and herders to farmers and townspeople. So check out slide 20. This is a map of Turkey and Egypt and Syria, so the Middle East. And these are some of our oldest known settlements. Um, And they're going to be in the mountains. So you can see that there's Katal Hayuk in Turkey. Um, We've got... Gobikli Tepe in Mesopotamia area. There's Jericho. We're going to be touching on a few of these. So we're talking present-day Turkey, Iraq, Iran, Syria. Um, Maybe you remember learning about Mesopotamia in school, the Fertile Crescent. It's a great place to have a civilization because it's between those two rivers. And rivers make land fertile. And fertile land means crops. So let's talk about what we actually have. What kind of crops do we have? We have barley and wheat. Those are important in these areas. And we have animal-wise goats, sheep, pigs. Now we're getting a lot of rain, so that means our crops are going to thrive. Our animals are going to thrive. And like I said, that fertile soil near rivers is extremely important. We do get some new innovations. So we're not just talking about painting on cave walls or making small ivory sculptures. We're weaving, so we've got textiles. We're doing metalworking, pottery, because now we have food and we have animals that produce milk, so we have to have something to store our food and milk in, hence the need for pottery. If you look at 23, this is what's left today of Jericho. Jericho is an ancient city that existed thousands of years before um, the biblical story takes place. Um, You may recognize the name Jericho from the biblical narrative, but we think it's as old as 8,000 BCE, so 10,000 years old. So this is what remains today. It was about a 10-acre area. They were, their homes were made out of mud brick. Um, They had roofs of branches. They got really wealthy, and so if you're a wealthy area at this time, you have to worry about people coming in and taking what's yours. So they needed to be protected, and so that's called fortification. They built a five-foot-thick wall that surrounded the entire city, and it was 13 feet tall. And then they put in a 13 I'm sorry, a 30-foot tall, so like almost three-story tall tower to watch the walls. But in 7,000 BCE, so about a 1,000 years after it started, everyone just abandons their site. And for a 1,000 years, we think it was just empty. 
until some new inhabitants come in and they establish a farming community there. When we excavate Jericho, we've actually found statuettes of animals and women. So maybe some more of that kind of fertility concept and then animals being an important food source to them as they were, like I said, a farming community. You can check out what ancient Jericho would have likely looked like on slide 25. This is a recreation. Um, You can see the walled city. It's extremely fortified. And you can probably assume that when you look at this, it's a double walled city, which means that the less important people were probably between the first wall and the second wall. And the most important people were probably the most protected, the most valuable homes and belongings were probably in that center area. Now, if you look at slide 26, you'll see um, a little figurine that is very similar to what was found in Jericho. This is from um, Ein Gazal, which is another Neolithic civilization. So these are larger scale sculptures. So not 12 inches, they're gonna be more like a few feet. And they're actually painted. We don't know the significance here, but a lot of times in these kind of cultures, we see this with kind of a commemoration of a loved one or an ancestor. Ancestor worship is a common thing. On 27, you'll see a recreation of a civilization in Turkey called Katal Hayuk. So if you look at this recreation, you'll see that it's a mud brick kind of civilization, very apartment style. And they have cutouts in their ceilings and then ladders that go down into their homes. So think about it in a term of safety or protection, that kind of a term. You have someone coming into your civilization. You don't want them to get into your home. You remove the ladder and what are they going to do? Jump in and drop 15 feet to the ground, 20 feet to the ground? No, probably not. They're probably not going to risk that. So it's a very... Um, Unique way of kind of separating yourself and making sure you're protected. You can see there's like a whole city inside this little complex. And then on slide 28, you can see some cave style paintings from this specific area in Turkey, Katalhayuk, and it's a deer hunt. So we have some deer. You can see they're red and they have antlers. And then do you see the little stick people hunting them? So these are human figures in our painting, 5,750 BCE. So we can assume that hunting was still important to them. Even though they had agriculture, they must have still been hunting to kind of um, balance out the need. Maybe they couldn't get enough from just farming at this point yet. Now in Neolithic art, in their paintings, you do see human figures quite often. Remember, Paleolithic, the older stuff, is going to be mostly animals. Now, on slide 29, we have a mural, so a wall painting from Katalhayuk that we think maybe represents a volcanic eruption, and we think it's a landscape, but we're not sure. Prehistory, no writing. Um, So on the top is what's left, and it's a poor photograph because we don't have great photographs of cave paintings. Um, But on the bottom is a recreation. And so you can see the kind of volcano-looking object. And then maybe that's a city underneath it. 
all the little blocks, which looks very similar to the apartment-style building we looked at earlier. So on slide 30, there's some more breakdown for you guys on um, Neolithic art. So in Paleolithic paintings and sculptures, there's really no exist existence of or evidence to tell us that we had the same thing in Neolithic towns. Not so much cave painting um, and not so much sculpture happening. However, 4000 BCE, we see a lot of monument construction using massive stones. And when I say massive, I mean 17 feet high and weighing 50 tons, which is 100,000 pounds. Um, and historians call these megaliths, which is a vocabulary word for you on slide 30. It just means big stone. Lith, remember, means stone, so mega, big stone. Now, the most famous structure is going to be on 31, slide 31, and you will all recognize it, and that is Stonehenge in England. It is not near as old as a lot of stuff we've looked at. It's about 4,000 years old, 2,000 BCE. But it's the most famous megalith, big stone monument in Europe. It's called a hinge, which means an arrangement of stones. So this hinge is in a circular kind of form. It's about 100 feet across. And it's what we call post and lintel construction, which is basically like if you took some Legos and put two vertical and one horizontal. You have two posts and one lintel. So... These builders put two large stones and then one large stone across the top of them. And that's post and lintel. So we don't really know the function of Stonehenge. There have been many, many archaeological digs, lots of investigation. Some people think it was a funerary site. We have found evidence of burial, um, massive graves. Some people think it has to do with astronomy because it lines up with certain constellations and certain solstices. In fact, we just had the summer solstice and they had a huge celebration in Stonehenge for the summer solstice. And then there's also a concept of center of healing. The people that built this are very mysterious to us. There's a mystical concept to it. We have a lot of questions about Stonehenge. Probably the biggest question though, is how did they move 100,000 pound stones into a circle and then stack them across the tops of each other? Um, if you're interested in documentaries, there have been some great ones done where they try and recreate Stonehenge using only the technology that these people would have had um, 4,000 years ago. So that wraps up our chapter one podcast on Paleolithic and Neolithic art. And I will catch up with you guys on our chapter two podcast for uh, next time.